Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. As disciples of Jesus Christ, it is our duty to serve Jesus and one another in selfless love. Oftentimes, it is difficult for us to do things that we believe to be lowly or beneath us. In a remarkable show of love and humility, Jesus Christ, our Master, our Teacher, our King, and our God, utterly humbles himself and washes his disciples' feet. Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 13 and learn this incredible lesson that we might emulate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. Welcome to another teaching. It's a Wednesday morning here in Texas, and uh, <clears throat> hopefully I'll just loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, and uh, just growing to know and love him. We say it over and over. There is nothing more edifying in our lives, nothing more beneficial in our lives in any manner or in any way than the time we spend with Jesus, time spent reading, studying, memorizing the Word of God, obviously obeying the Scriptures, obeying the Word of God, um, time spent in prayer and, and thanksgiving, time spent in praise and, and worship, time spent in community with, with other believers um, around Jesus and talking about Jesus. And so that's the meaning of life. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Today we're, we're going to begin... John chapter 13, I'd imagine it'd be around four, four or so, three or four teachings in John 13. I imagine it'd be closer to four, but we'll see. And an incredible chapter um, we're going to do today, probably the first, hopefully, 11 verses. I want to give a shout out to uh, Ian and, and Chloe, soon to be Mr. and Mrs. Ian Poteet. Their wedding is uh, is tomorrow. Thank you, Lord Jesus, and um, yeah, it's just an exciting time. So, uh, Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy and favor and goodness on our lives, Father. And Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming and living a perfect life for us and dying a perfect death for us, and we thank you today that you are alive and risen. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word and give us eyes that see and ears that hear. And Father, we do want to pray a special blessing over Ian and Chloe as they uh, they get ready to get, get married tomorrow. Father, we just pray a, a day of favor and blessing and peace and wonder and joy and just a, a time of your presence. Lord Jesus, we pray that that you would you would manifest your presence at their wedding, Lord. We we pray, Holy Spirit, that that the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ would be glorified in the wedding of Ian and Chloe Poteet. So, Father, we commit this wedding into your hands and this time into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, exciting stuff here. John, chapter thirteen, verse one. To 11. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world 
and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. Um, incredible, just incredible, incredible, just account here of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. We've said this before, that the washing of feet was reserved for slaves. The lowest of society would, would do this. And, you know, oftentimes, even then, it would be, uh, it would be considered to be such a base task that it would be a lot to ask even for them to do it. Never, ever, ever would a, uh, would a, would a master or a teacher wash his students' feet. It could be shown as an incredible sign of, of love and humility. Like, students would never be asked to wash their master's feet because, again, the task was considered so base. Just think of the most base, foul task you can think of. And that's how this was viewed. So, so even if you had the most profound teacher, you would never be asked to, to wash his feet. That's how low this task was. Um, if, a, if, a, if a student ever washed their master's feet, again, it was considered an overwhelming act of humility. Never, ever, ever would a would a would a teacher or the master of the students never would they wash their students' feet? Inconceivable. Again, because this is such a uh, a lowly and base task, and yet here we have the teacher, capital T. We have Jesus, God, doing the inconceivable literally getting up and washing all of the 12 disciples' feet. Again, he even washes Judas's feet 
when he knows that Judas is going to betray him and hand him over to be crucified. It's a, uh, to say it's an act of humility doesn't, doesn't, doesn't even cover it. It is, it is the act of humility that's, that's again, beyond comprehension. Obviously, everything Jesus did, when you're God and you become a human being, that condescension in itself is a humility beyond imagination. Um, and yet we see it here again in operation. And it's, again, it's, it's one of the most beautiful scenes in the Bible. Um, and so verse one, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. When I was preparing for this and, and studying, the uh, scholars say now we are within around 24 hours of Jesus's crucifixion now. So from John 13 all the way to 21, you know, we're in the uh, 13 to 20, right? When he's put in the tomb, um, you know, 19, I guess, is when, he, when, he, when he's finished in the tomb. So these next, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, these next seven chapters are going to be... Um, are going to be in the last 24 hours of Jesus's life. It says that Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and would go to the Father. Now, now he he always knew, right? As it, as it says earlier, I believe in John 3, might be around verse 35. Um, I'll have to go look there. Um, John 3.35. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. So no, that's not the verse. Um, but the scripture tells us that Jesus knew, you know, already that he was headed for crucifixion. But it wasn't his time all the other times. Now when it says Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world, and go to the Father, he knows that his crucifixion is, is imminent. He knows that now is the time um, that he's going to be crucified. And it says, you know, it doesn't, doesn't say here that he knew it was the time to be crucified, but it's, it's clear because it actually says that he knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And it's a... Uh, it's just a beautiful picture of the gospel writer, John, and the spirit of God leading John, you know, to talk about that Jesus now is going to go back to the father. You know, um, it says in verse three, and that's what I was thinking of in John three thirty-five, and John 13, three, it says, Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power. And that, he, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And it says, it says the same thing in John 3, 35, right? John 3, 35. The Father loves the Son and has placed 
everything in his hands. John 3, 35. John 13, 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he knows that that his crucifixion is eminent. The, the, the fact that it says he knew it was his time, he knows now <clears throat> that within the next 24 hours or so, he's going to die this, this horrible, excruciating death. And try to imagine what, what our mindset would be. Uh, we, we couldn't bear it. We'd go out of our mind, undoubtedly. It's just uh, it's too much to conceive. It's too much to bear. Um, a, a, a human being alone could not handle it, right? It has to be the God-man. Um, he knew that he was going to become sin. He knew that the wrath of the Father was going to be poured onto him for the sin of the world. Um, and it says, having loved his own, verse 1, who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. So it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting statement. He now showed them the full extent of his love. Jesus loves the whole world. John 3 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But there are there are, a, there are depths in the love of God, right? There are, there are deeper aspects of the love of Jesus that are shown to his disciples may. Do you see that? Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them, the disciples, the full extent of his love. The more you and I grow as disciples of Jesus Christ, the more we grow as obedient followers of Jesus Christ, right, Tommy? Um, the more we will, we will understand and experience not only the love of Jesus, but the extent of his love. Now, if you're a Christian today, and a Christian is someone who's trusting and relying on Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul, um, if you're a Christian today, then, then you are a child of God. God the Father is your heavenly Father. Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, Master and King. The Holy Spirit is your guide, your comforter, your counselor. Um, you have relationship with the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, and you'll go to heaven when you die, right? Um, but there's a difference between a Christian and a disciple. Okay, a disciple is a is a disciplined follower of Christ. It's not just a believer in Christ, someone who's saved and trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul. They're certainly doing that, but they're actually living a disciplined life, right? We actually get our English word discipline from the Latin word disciple. So in order to be a disciple, you have to be a disciplined follower of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus. And a, a disciple of Jesus is someone who's increasingly spending time with Jesus, growing to know him, growing to love him, growing to know his love, growing to obey him, right? The famous passage in Matthew um, 28, right? 
18 to 20, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you even to the ends of the earth. Um, so you notice Jesus didn't say go and make Christians, although certainly you have to be a Christian before you can be a disciple. You have to be saved. Before you can be a disciple of Jesus, a real disciple of Jesus Christ, the genuine disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to first be a Christian. You have to first receive Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. When you receive Jesus, right, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. Jesus Christ himself comes to live in you. And now you're discipled by God the Father, God the Son, and, and God the Holy Spirit, right? So you can't be a disciple of Jesus until you're first saved, right? Until Jesus lives inside of you, you know, regenerates you, gives you new spiritual eternal life. Before that happens, you, you can't be a disciple of Jesus. Now, once that happens and you're given spiritual rebirth and you have life in Jesus Christ, Jesus lives in you. Now, you, you're, you're, the goal of our life is to grow as a disciple of Jesus. And as we grow, we'll more and more experience the extent of his love, the full extent of his love. And, and that's going to be dependent on, first of all, us being disciples, because you can see here, these are his disciples, right? Having loved his own who are in the world, his disciples, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And, 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 and that ought to be the, the desire of our hearts is to know the love of Christ more and more and more deeply and obviously respond to that by loving him and, and loving others as he's commanded us to do, right? He now showed them the full extent of his love. Verse 2, the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Um, it's, a, it's a horrible, horrible scripture. Um, Jesus makes it clear that, that Judas was, was never saved, right? He was one of the one of the 12 disciples, but he was never a genuine disciple. He was never a real disciple of Jesus, right? He was not clean, right? Jesus is going to tell us down here to Peter, and he's talking to Peter here when he, when he's, when he tells Peter that, you know, unless I wash you, you have no place in me, that, that there has to be a, a cleansing, a spiritual cleansing, which this washing is a, is a physical symbolic picture of. Um, and Jesus says in verse 10, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body's clean. Meaning if you've been bathed in the blood of Jesus Christ, that's powerful, right? Like, uh, may, if you've been bathed in the, in the blood of Jesus Christ, verse 10, Jesus answered a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. Again, if you've been bathed in the blood of Jesus Christ, if you're trusting and relying on Jesus Christ, then you're clean, right? You're, you're spiritually alive. You've been given spiritual rebirth. You've been, you've been cleansed spiritually of your sin by the blood of Christ, right? And then he says to Peter, and you are clean, right? You have been bathed in my blood. You have been cleansed of your sin, 
But then he says this, though not every one of you. Verse 11, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. So Judas was never saved. Judas was never a Christian. Judas was never a real disciple of Jesus. And, you know, the scripture, you know, uh, says a lot about him. It says that he used to help himself, right? Um, You know, we read in, um, you know, remember in uh, chapter 12, the beginning of the last chapter, that he that he used to help himself to what was in the money bag, right? Um, verse 6 of uh, chapter 12, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, speaking about Judas, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And some scholars say that, that this is where he opened his heart and gave an open door to Satan. Um, Satan cannot just overtake you, okay? Um, you know, you have to you have to give spiritual enemies a massive open doors in your life for them to to have such an influence on you, right? Now, if you're in Jesus Christ today, if you're a Christian and Jesus lives in you, you cannot be possessed by a by a demon or by Satan. You can be oppressed, right? The spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, the demons, they can still oppress you, right? They can still, you know, bring you ungodly thoughts, right? The battleground for the enemy is your mind. Um, but they cannot possess you. Now, Judas had given himself over. And, and, uh, and one scholar made the point that, you know, that, that Satan had undoubtedly targeted Judas for a very long time, you know, for this position to to betray Jesus. Um, again, it's a horribly sad account. Um, and, and Jesus is going to even wash Judas's feet again, and that just again what that speaks of the love of Christ in that moment is is just again it's it's beyond comprehension that he knows that it's Judas who's going to turn him over to be crucified, and yet in such love he's. He knows that Judas is just an instrument and that the devil is behind this. But again, Judas gave himself over to this. And so, you know, at whatever place we are today, the first thing is if you're not a Christian, Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not the words that save us, but we communicate our heart to the Lord. Right? A Christian is someone who's acknowledged their sinfulness. They agree with the word of God that they're sinful. They know that they're hopeless, desperate, helpless, headed to hell. They need to be saved from eternal hell, and they know that. And they believe, as John 1.12 says, John 1.12 says that to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So a Christian is someone who understands their sinfulness and they're trusting and relying on Jesus Christ. Again, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you genuinely and meaningfully called out to him, knowing your hopelessness and helplessness and that you're desperate? A Christian is someone, again, to call on Jesus 
is to simply come before him. And again, you can use these words, but as I've said, it's, it's, it's the sincerity and genuineness of your heart and genuineness of your heart that matters. But simply going before Jesus and praying, Lord Jesus, I confess and I know that I am a sinful person. And I know that I cannot save myself, Jesus. I know that I'm hopeless, I'm helpless, and I'm desperate. But Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. And I believe that you came into the world and lived a perfect life for me and died a perfect death for me, Lord Jesus. And I believe that you are alive and risen. And therefore, Lord Jesus, I ask you now to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all of my faith and trust and confidence and hope in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. It's calling on Jesus again out of a sincere heart and a genuine heart. And again, it's not those words that save us. Use the words to give your life to Christ. But again, it's 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 our it's 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 the sincerity of our heart that that matters. Um, the reason I I go over that so much is because it's not just puppeting words. It's not just some rote exercise of saying some words and believing that's that's how you become a Christian. It's it's the genuine trusting and relying on Jesus Christ and Him alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul that brings you to be a Christian. So again, you know, if you're fearful today that that you're not sure that you know Him, and certainly you don't want to be a tool of the enemy, that's how you give your life to Christ. And then from there, we spend our lives growing in relationship with Jesus and growing to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Verse three, Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power. All things are under Jesus. Jesus is God. He knew that God the Father had given him authority over all things. Again, in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This is after his resurrection. And even before that, right? This is before his, his crucifixion and resurrection. And it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He's the boss of everything. And look what it says. And that he had come from God and which was returning from God. He knew who he was. He knew who he came from. But then verse 4 says, so he got up from the meal, knowing that the Father had put all things under his power. You would think that someone who knew who they were, knew they were the boss of everything in the world, would have had people serve him, had people wash his feet. There's a picture here that's that's remarkable. Knowing that, that he was all-powerful and the Father had given him authority over everything, he uses that power to humble himself, to get up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. You see the intentionality of it? He does it all himself. 
Verse 5, after that, he poured water into a basin. He literally does it all. He could have had others prepare, you know, the different, the, the, you know, the towel and the, and, and the water and, you know, and, uh, and all of that. But he actually does it all himself. It's amazing. We said, uh, you know, when, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead in John 11, you know, he tells them to take away the stone, you know, where Lazarus is behind the stone. He tells them to take the grave clothes off. Um, but in this incredible act of humility, he, he does it all himself. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. Verse 5, after that, he poured water into a basin. So intentionally going through the whole process and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Again, it's it's a, it's a it's a it's an unspeakable act of humility. Obviously given to us as an example. And the example for us and and most of us have never washed, you know, others' feet. I have, but it's an example that our God and King, right, humbled himself to do the most lowly, considered, disgusting task, almost as low as you could get in that society. Again, you wouldn't even generally ask a slave to do it. Um, you know, remember when, when John the Baptist said, you know, that he's not worthy to untie the thongs of the, of Jesus's sandals. Again, uh, it was such a base thing. You wouldn't even ask the lowest people in society to do it. It says that after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He says... And, and, you know, we're not going to get into this this time. Um, he's going to say in verse 12, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. And again, it's really not about washing the feet. It's about him showing us that 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 there's really nothing he doesn't consider himself above doing the most base and menial um, and just lowly tasks. And certainly every one of us, you know, particularly in the West where we're so privileged, you know, it's very easy for us to get to a place where we, we think we're too good for certain jobs or certain things, right? Um, it's too good for us to pick up some trash somewhere. It's too good for us to do certain things that, that we don't want to do. And what Jesus is showing us here is that we ought to serve one another in, in, in as much serving him and whatever's put before us, right? Um, that, that nothing ought to be below us in Jesus Christ. And Father, I do ask you to, uh, 
to forgive us, to forgive me where we have, um, where, where we have, where I have just, just acted as if and behaved in ways where, 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 where something is above me, Lord, Lord Jesus, I ask you to, or is below me. I ask you to, uh, just to have mercy on us, Lord Jesus and Holy Spirit. I ask you to convict us that we might begin to live our lives in this way. Have mercy, Lord. Verse six, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Now, Peter's seen him wash others, disciples, and says, are you going to wash my feet? Verse seven, Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Now, again, this is interesting because Peter is going to go back and forth with him, um, and he shouldn't. Um, you see in verse 8, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. So, again, he's telling Peter. It's almost like Peter sees the other disciples having their feet washed, but it's almost like he's acting overly pious. And, you know, all of us, you know, would have wanted to say that, right? But Jesus knows what he's doing. Simon Peter says, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Every human being in the world, all 8 billion people need to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, need to be cleansed of our sin. We all need a spiritual cleansing that can only come in and through Jesus Christ. And so then... After Peter says, you know, no, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So then Peter goes the other way around. Then Lord said, then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And so now he cuts to the other side. And, and, and again, Remember, we always say Romans 15, 4 says that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us or instruct us. This attitude in Simon Peter, if, if you look inside yourself, I mean, we should all be able to see this in this back and forth, just uh, some, of the, some of the rebellion in our own hearts. Peter, Peter says to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Peter already knows what's happening. He sees Jesus washing the other disciples' feet. Jesus tells him plainly in verse 7. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. So, hear the words. He explains to Peter, you don't understand. You do not realize now what I'm doing. Yes, I'm going to wash your feet, Jesus is saying. It doesn't make sense to you, but later you'll understand. Peter pays no attention to that and says, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. So again, he didn't listen to what Jesus just said, because Jesus just said, you don't realize now, you don't understand what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. And he still just says no. Okay. Um, Jesus is again, he's taken off his garment. He's on his knees. He's got a towel wrapped around his, his, his waist. He's moving a water basin around, and he's got to stop and have this discussion with Peter. And undoubtedly, I'm worse, right? How many times my Lord has tried to bless me 
and serve me. And I'm getting into tit for tat arguing with them. You know, Scott, it's it, it's remarkable. I'm just saying, if if we all look into our hearts, we can see this. I mean, this attitude in Peter is so prevalent in us in us all. And Father, I'm, I'm sorry. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Didn't pay any attention to all what Jesus said. Now, as a side note in verse 7, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. Oftentimes in our lives, we don't realize now in the present time what Jesus is doing. We don't understand what's happening. We don't understand why it's happening. But later we will understand. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ and you're walking with him, oftentimes you don't understand certain circumstances and why they're happening and and what's going on inside them. But later you will understand. But you need to let Jesus have his way. You need to submit to Jesus Christ. You need to obey him. So again, Peter, again, he's he has seen the other disciples get their feet washed. Jesus says, you don't understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. So again, it's he has this indignance about it. Um, and, you know, he's he's... He's kind of raising himself up above the other disciples in a way because, you know, he sees Jesus washing their feet, but he's saying, no, you know, I'm not going to allow this. Maybe those men will allow, but I'm not going to allow it. And again, it's a, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not of God, right? It's just a, it's a thought that comes into our heart. And again, it's so deceiving. It's something we have to really, really catch ourselves from. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Okay? And again, we can have no part in Jesus unless we let Jesus wash us in his blood that he shed on the cross, Lord, for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. Now look what he says here, Rap, in verse 9. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. So now he goes the other way, Right? So now again, he's like, like overly, like, now he's telling Jesus, right? He just refused Jesus and told him what he's not going to do. Now he's telling Jesus what he needs to do. Just a picture of my life, right, Rap? Um, but forgive me, Lord. Um, and again, in this, you can just see this like, <coughs> you know, just just over the top, you know, kind of, acting in this way like I want all of you Jesus I want all of you and it and again we we have this kind of thing if if we look at ourselves it's it's everywhere in the church right where we just we want to act overly pious right overly devout you know um you remember when the uh in Ecclesiastes when Solomon said do not be Overly righteous, maybe chapter seven, I'm not sure. Do not be overly righteous or overly wicked. Don't pretend to be more righteous than you are, right? You are who you are, right? You know, don't, you know, just just be who you are. Be sincere and genuine to who you are. Don't act in a way as if you're more righteous and you have a greater devotion to Jesus than you really do, right? Um, you know, 
and and don't don't have false humility and pretend you're worse than you are. You know, don't be overly righteous or overly wicked. Just kind of be cool. You are who you are, right? It is what it is. Jesus answered, verse 10, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. So again, if you've been bathed in Jesus Christ, you're clean, you're saved, your sins are, go- your, your sins are forgiven, you're going to heaven. And he says to Peter, and you are clean. So Peter has been bathed in the blood of Jesus, right? Now, again, all of this is a picture, right? Jesus, you know, Jesus has bathed Peter. Peter is going to be bathed in the blood of Christ and is saved, right? Uh, Peter's belief is genuine, right? He's genuinely trusting and believing in Jesus as the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Um, and, And he's clean. But then Jesus says, though not every one of you, as we talked about, verse 11, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. So we'll we'll ask, I mean, have you been bathed in the blood of Jesus Christ? Have, Have you received him? And are you trusting in him for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul? If not, then back up the tape and and again, use the words that were there, but, you know, genuinely give your life to Jesus Christ and you will be forgiven of your sins. You'll come into relationship with the triune God and you'll ultimately go to heaven when you die. Um, because a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean. Are you clean today? Are you clean? All of us, even as Christians and as disciples of Jesus, we still have to go out into the world, right? As disciples of Jesus who are forgiven of our sins, cleansed of our sins. We're clean. But, you know, when we walk in this world, Stephen, right, we we still get dirty. You know, when we walk around in this world, we, we still get dirty. And by the mercy... <laughs> The incalculable mercy of our God, Jesus still will wash us and cleanse us of the of the of the world that gets on us, of the dirt that gets on us. But our spirit is clean, our soul is regenerated. We have a spiritual cleansing and we have eternal life if we're trusting in Christ. We still go out, right? We still make mistakes. Um, we've been bathed in the blood of Jesus Christ, but you know why we talk about repentance all the time right um is because we you know we can still get the the dirt of this world on us while we live in this life so father we thank you for your mercy and goodness on our lives we thank you for your favor and your grace father in the name of jesus i pray that that all those in the world today all those who don't know you would come to be bathed in the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord, would come to know and receive Jesus Christ as their only Lord and Savior. And Father, I pray that we would live our lives, Lord, in humility, Lord, washing one another's feet metaphorically, Lord, being willing to serve one another, even in the lowly and difficult tasks of this life. 
Father, we love you and we bless you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy and goodness on our lives. Lord Jesus, we worship you, we thank you, and we praise you. Holy Spirit, seal the message to our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.